mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like an eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is Mac Scotty McGregor and he is an amazing guest, such a positive attitude and very much a very interesting topic that we go over today. His new book, Positive Masculinity, which takes a deep dive into gender expectations, socialization and messaging is really, really powerful. And I think it's something that we can all really resonate with. On the other side of things, we get into a lot of different conversations on this, like mainly how he transitioned from being a woman to a man very late into his life. And after being a very, very high level competitor in martial arts. So really interesting conversations around that as well, what he experienced on the other side of things and how he impacts society today. Very, very cool to dive into these conversations with him. Um, I enjoyed this a lot and really learned a lot from Mac on the different aspects of what it's like to live on both sides of the fence and how that has impacted the way that he walks around in the world today and improves masculinity and evolves masculinity in a way that really brings up everybody, not just the feminine, but also the men in the world, because he has seen how that has caused pain in his life and also what those struggles are with as he's been surrounded by alpha males in the martial art industry. So really amazing conversation. Definitely recommend taking a listen to it and also recommend going and getting his book. Positive Masculinity is out already. So make sure you guys scoop that up and dive into what he has for you. So I'll see you guys around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we have Mac McGregor on here. You are a city commissioner for Seattle. You sit on the LGBTQ Advisory Council uh, for the Seattle Police Department. Amazing. Um, you're a director of social outreach in Seattle, board member of Seattle Counseling Service. I mean, is there anything you don't do in Seattle at this point? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't so well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can handle really a good. knife. I can handle a knife or a sword, but give me a sewing needle and I hurt myself every time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that most most people are gonna uh, resonate with that one a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I am excited to have you on the show, Mac. Thank you for joining us today. Before we kick off, I'm gonna run you through the manly round. You ready for it? Certainly. All right. Yeah, let's do what, it. <laughs> what is your spirit animal and why? 
Oh, my spirit animal is a tiger. Ooh. Because I, uh, you know, I've always been like curious for one thing, you know, cats are curious, right? <laughs> and playful. And yet uh, I can take care of things when I need to. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, really fascinating thing about tigers is they can swim exceptionally well. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a certified scuba diver, was a lifeguard growing up. So, yeah. <laughs> there we go. You got it. You got it. You got all the aspects. I love that. Really good. All right. Your next question is what song, whenever you hear it, so say you're on, uh, you know, tra public transportation in Seattle and there's a bunch of people around you. If you hear this song, what song is it that makes you start having to sing along out loud? Oh my God. There's so many of them. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Which, um, what's the first one that comes to mind? Uh, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> okay. Oh, there we go. The tiger showing up again. Tiger yeah, showing totally. up again. And I used I to train that. to that all the time in the martial arts. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You being martial artist, that's definitely, uh, definitely one of the songs that you have to resonate. I think you guys just are forced to resonate with that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. A, All right. It's got a good workout rhythm too, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I challenge anybody to not like bounce along, singing <laughs> along with that song when it comes sure. on. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. All right. And your last question is, so imagine you can travel in time and you have to pick a well-known person. So somebody that majority of people around the world would know. Mm. Who would you prank? And only if you know it, what would the prank be? Oh my God, who would you prank? <laughs> that is very funny. Um, Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the prank? I don't know the prank, but I know that he has such a great <laughs> sense of humor because him and I used to watch the him and the Dalai Lama and their friendship, <laughs> how they would laugh so much together. They're like little boys. And so that just, it just brings the little boy out in you when you see the two of them carrying on before he passed away, you know? And so, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be in the middle of that. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's good. Yeah. It's, you know, it goes one way or the other. It's either you prank somebody that, you know, has a really good sense of humor or you prank somebody, you know, is going to get really mad. It's yeah. like one or the other. <laughs> and, that's not as, and that's not as fun unless it's a family member sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, I love it. You did really well, Mac. I, I'm impressed with the answers. Very good. Quick answers. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, we introed you before this, but I love to have my guests just give a little bit of a uh, synopsis of their background and what brought them to where they are today. And obviously we all know that you basically own Seattle at this point, <laughs> and we'll talk, we'll talk about your book coming out and, and yeah. its effect on its effect on masculinity and how you hope to help uh, influence it. But let's talk about where you started and how you got to this point. Yeah. So, um, I was born in the Bible Belt in the South, and uh, that's a that's an interesting place to grow up when you're kind of a unicorn like me. Uh, <laughs> so, and and you know I was fed you know these these very restrictive messages in that in that community. You know, like in order to you know the the lines of male and female were very strict, and how you were supposed to act and you know and be in the world. Uh, you know, it was very traditional, right? Very conservative and traditional. And I never really fit into that well. 
and I was always challenged it you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, and uh, so then when I was six years old, though, I found the martial arts. Mm. Now, back up a second. And I call the martial arts my soulmate because I came from a really dysfunctional family. Just to give you an idea, my mom's on her 12th marriage now, and she was married five times by the time she was 25, and she had me at 16. So in other words, what? My, home life, my home life was, and I'm the oldest, so I wow. had to pick up a lot of the pieces. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, home life was like tumultuous, right? It was like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant, um, and it was like a revolving door. And so the martial arts, when I found the martial arts, that quickly became my second family and my healthy family, the dojo. Mm-hmm. And they were just great people. I just happened to land in an amazing dojo with great people who saw me as this kid that was talented and putting a lot of work into it and just kind of took me under their wing and, and everybody was wonderful to me. Um, even though mm-hmm. my mom was in her own world and not very involved, like when we do things and go to competitions, you know, a lot of the other kids had parents coming and cheering them on and taking care of them and getting them lunch. And, and my mom never came. Um, and so I had other parents even step up and do kind things like bring an extra sandwich for me or give me mm. a ride. And I've never forgotten that, you know, because people don't have to do those things. And, and it made a big difference in my life. So I've always mm. been grateful for that. And I always tried to do give back in that way myself, because I understand what it can do for a kid. Um, but that family just made a world of difference in my life. I don't know where I'd be without, I, I was a kid with a lot of energy and I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't found a healthy place to put that energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And I just ate it up. Like I was literally the kid they had to kick out at night when they needed to go home and tell me I had to go home so they could lock the doors. (laughs) Well, and, and I bet because like you, you were, uh, born a female, right? So then like. You, you and then you transitioned to being male, but that had to have been really tough. But that was also one of the places you were kind of accepted for having more masculine tendencies, right? That's exactly right. It gave me a an an out for that too, and and being, you know, strong and assertive, and you know, uh, that was celebrated there, right? And right, yeah. And I mean, at four years old, I knew when, when you talk about my gender journey. At four years old, I started changing my name to a masculine name, playing with other children. And I had zero exposure to anything LGBTQ. I just, right. knew, I just knew that the feminine name they gave me and the expectations that went along with it didn't work for me. That wasn't who <laughs> yeah, I was. That's not my game. <laughs> right. It just, I just knew it wasn't who I was. I mean, the word transgender, it wasn't even around yet, you know, because no, I was no. born in the 1960s. That word wasn't even there, you know. And yeah. uh, so I just changed my name to this masculine name. And the funny, the name that I used my grandfather and I, my grandparents helped to take care of me when I was really young because my mom had me at 16. Mm-hmm. And my papa and I used to watch a couple of shows together. Like that was our thing. And one of them was Gunsmoke. You are probably too young to remember that. Gunsmoke and Bonanza were our shows. They were <laughs> Westerns. <laughs> and the sheriff from Gunsmoke was a guy named Matt Dillon. And he was a good guy, you know, the kind of cowboy with the white hat, good guy. And I, yeah. so I told all the kids that was my name, Matt Dillon. So my grandparents <laughs> were really cute when the kids would come knock on the door and ask if Matt Dillon could come out and play. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's really good. I love that. Yeah. So I had to navigate that as well in my world of Southern Baptist world. I went to a Southern Baptist school, you know, yeah. all of that, trying to navigate all of this. 
and these gender expectations. And I just saw that, you know, that they didn't fit a lot of people. It wasn't, it's not just transgender people, that these expectations don't fit. I mean, when I teach about gender, I teach about, look, if you're a cisgendered man, that means you were born with your body matching how you feel you are inside. Mm -hmm. which that's what most people are, right? There's a big scale of masculinity. Like it, mm -hmm. it, there's not just one type. Like we can go from The Rock, you know, Dwayne yeah. Johnson to Fred Rogers. Those yeah. are very, very different forms of masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. And yet they're still all valid masculine forms of masculinity, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah, but if you can imagine Fred Rogers as a young kid, he was tender, more tender than most of the guys. He was intellectual. He wasn't physically the tough guy at all. So I imagine he mm -hmm. got picked on a lot for who he is. And, and now then look at what he did in the world and what a good guy he was, and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. as he got older. So, so, I mean, there are many different ways. I call it masculinities because there's not just one way. Right. And the same yeah. thing with femininity It's the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was an interesting journey, but at 17, I won the United States fighting title. Uh, the U.S. lightweight fighting title, and then I the world wow. started opening up. So that allowed me to start traveling more and competing. I got opportunities to be on the U.S. karate team, which I was on till I was 39 years old, which is a very Whoa. long career because I started at six, remember, and I was competing at belt ranks all the way up. And wow. I retired from competition at 39. At the time, I was the oldest one male or female on the U.S. karate team, and I won two medals in the world championships. Wow. Yeah. And the 18, 19-year-olds on the team were calling me the grandparent of the team, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> smack you, kids. And, <laughs> and I looked at my clock. Yeah. I won those two medals. I looked at my clock and said, this would be a good time to retire. You know, I'm not. <laughs> yep. You're smart. You were smart. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when I was able to start medical transition. I had, you know, traveling once the world opened up and I started traveling, I saw that I wasn't the only one because in my small little, you know, Southern Bible Belt area, there just weren't many LGBTQ people out. Right. Right. And in the ones that were, I wasn't exposed to them at all. And so traveling allowed me to see I'm not the only one in the world, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot more acceptance in other places. And, you know, it's, it's okay to be who I am and, and live in authenticity. And so yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Then after I retired, I, I was still allowed to be able to coach and referee um, at a world-class level, but uh, you know, com competing in a, in a um, com combat sport, in a physical sport, you know, where you're one-on-one, -on -one, they just still don't know mm -hmm. what to do with transgender athletes. They're still mm. figuring it out. And they wouldn't have allowed me to compete, continue to compete had I transitioned earlier. So I decided that opportunity is so rare, I was gonna ride that as long as I could. And I just have good genetics as an athlete. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was able to have this amazing long career. Yeah, awesome. oh, that yeah. is awesome. You're also an incredibly uh, accomplished coach as well from what I've read. Yeah. So that's, it's not just you're a, a student of the sport, you're also a, a coach of the sport and you've done a great job. Yeah, I've been interducted in the Martial Arts Hall of Fame twice, once as a competitor and once as a master instructor co and coach. I've coached mm -hmm. 59 national karate champions and 29 junior Olympic champions. And I just wow. love, I love coaching because I love helping people 
be able to do things they didn't think they could do before, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome no, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. You help them like conquer, conquer that impossible. Right. Or you help yeah. them see, see themselves in a, in a more pronounced light. So they actually have that confidence to be able to compete at such a high level in a one-on-one -on -one sport. That's right. And it teaches you so many life skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from your background, I mean, I, you know, when they say, you know, all the book I just wrote, all the things, how many of those lessons that you share when you, when I coach other people are from your martial arts background? I, I just, like most of them are from what I experienced in the martial arts, right? Because you learn that you, you can fail and you get back up and do it again, right? The champion, yeah. I always tell people, is the one that keeps showing up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, it, it's the one that keeps getting back up and doing it again. And the, that's what it takes to accomplish these things. You know, you also learn that you can take hits and you can get back up, right? That, that mm -hmm. every time that you take a hit in life, it's not the end, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same in business too, right? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've transferred that to, to business as well, you know, in my world. You also learn how to work with so many different types of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's that's an important it doesn't matter their their size or their, you know, their energy or their anything. I mean, you can work with anybody. And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, having such a long this is my 51st year in the, as a martial artist. You wow. know, I've worked with people of all sizes, all belief systems, you know, all colors, all, you know, all ethnic backgrounds. And, and I mean, yeah. I've been able to go and be a part of something called. Um, Aikido for Peace, you know, where, where we go, this organization goes and has dojos on the border of Palestine and Israel, and people come in from both sides, take Holy their clothes shit. off, put on, put on a gi, and work out, because you know what that does? It'll, it helps them see each other as, as it humanizes each other, right? So, you know, when you're responsible for your partner's safety, um, you know, you have to like see each other's humanity, right? There's mm -hmm. something about that, right? And so they actually care for each other when they're in there working out. And then they, they leave the dojo and go to each side of the border. And they mm -hmm. think a little differently about people over there, right? It's easy to other somebody when they're far away. And you've yeah. not had that kind of contact with them. It changes the game. Man, and that's powerful. I, I know that that uh, internal conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And for people that don't know that, it, it is intense. And to for somebody to put a dojo like that to bring them together, that's absolutely amazing. Wow. Like, uh, talk about uh, what you would think an impossible feat is. Jeez. Right. You know, wow. I, I've tried to explain my wife has never been into sports, you know, so um, I've tried to explain to her the power of sports because it's like the Olympics. People don't understand the political value of that. When people, mm -hmm. when people get together in that and you compete with one another and you work out together, you know, it, it, it's no longer us and them. We're just all like, we're all doing the same thing. We see each other's humanity. We see each other's families. You know, yeah. we see each other sweat. We see each other have good times and bad times. It changes the game. Yeah. Yeah.
No, there is. There's a, there's a, a beautiful connection that even comes through adversaries in sports. You know, yes. I think that's a that's a really cool way of putting it. Well, there's so much I want to dive into with you, namely your book, which is going to be something we talk about. But I wanted to ask you really quick, you know, looking at your background and then, um, you know, transitioning from from female to male. I, I really because of the fact that you you kind of have lend yourself to be an expert in the masculinity space, right? With this book and with your work prior to this, the question I have is like, what was that like to take on more masculinity yourself being from being a female to, to then being a male, right? Like, was that, a was that inherent in you? Did you just feel it that way? Or did it, did it really cause a little bit of, of more absorption of more um, effort? I would say maybe. You know, I always felt like that's who I was inside. So, uh, mm -hmm. but what the world saw, I mean, I walked and experienced what it's like to walk the world is what the world saw on the outside. I mean, I used to have Farrah Fawcett hair, you know, what the world saw oh, wow. as. Now, yeah. now I might be, you you're, you might be young enough to go, who's Farrah Fawcett? It was Charlie's Angels. All right, let's just get go yeah, I know, I know who Farrah Fawcett was. Okay. I know who Farrah Fawcett yeah. was. Yeah. I used to be a workout for hours and my hair was still perfect because I had my own hole in the ozone layer because we didn't know any better back then. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a Southern thing. It's always about the hair, you know? So, Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I did experience some really interesting things. I was, mm. I was brought up in mostly a guy's dojo. There was only a small uh, handful of women in, in that dojo at all. It was a guy's kickboxing. Basically, it was a rough and tumble place, you know, so so um, I feel like I was socialized a lot male around there. right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then just who I was. I mean, my papa, you know, I was like his little shadow growing up. I mean, he taught me how to drive a tractor. He taught me how to garden. He taught me how to work the land, you know, so mm -hmm. I was, you know, and fish. Uh, so, you know, I was his little buddy. So I feel like I got a lot of male socialization. Um, mm -hmm. because everything the women in my life tried to get me to do, you know, every time my grandmother would try to put a frilly dress on me, I'd be like, no, thank you, Nana. Nope. You know? <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah, that's not me. And uh, so I understood a lot because I was around mostly guys mm. um, in my martial arts, you know, and, and spent a ton of time, like I said, a little with my papa. He was my hero. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he was really great. So, you know, I had that. Now, one of the things that I questioned when I transitioned, I'll be honest with you, because I did experience some rough sexism mm. because I was born female, no matter how many championships I won, no matter how many. And I trained, like I said, with mostly guys, yeah. but still there would be guys that would say to me, oh, you're really good for a girl. Mm. Oh, when people <laughs> say that to a kid, you know, whether they say you're really good for a short kid or for a girl or for a heavy kid or whatever i mean that's just i i just think we need to really examine you know what we're saying because if somebody's good at something they're good at something you don't need to put that little qualifier because what that is is it's underhanded comment mm -hmm. right you're undermining them in some way you're saying but you don't equal me because usually the yeah. person who's saying that is saying it in that way right yeah um so, I mean, I put up with a lot of that. I actually put up when I was young with 
male referees offering me their room key to do me favors in competition. Some really, you know, rough stuff that, that was hard mm. to navigate. Um, wow. And these, some of these were famous martial arts guys that I looked up to, and it was really disheartening to see mm. them act like that, you know? And so mm. then I had to avoid being alone with them. You know, I had to play yeah. this game of avoiding that because they had all the power at the time, yeah. you know, um, because I was like 17, 18, 19 at that time, you know, that was rough. I didn't have the power they did. And, and it's yeah. still sports and martial arts is a very male dominated world. Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there's a part of me that when I went to transition, I went, wow, you know, how am I going to walk this? Because I had, I've had a lot of great experiences with guys. I've had some great men in my life. Like some of my teachers in the martial arts were amazing. My papa was great, but I've also experienced some of the really toxic masculine, you know, uh, masculinity. So, you know, just, I really put a lot of deep thought into how I was going to walk this. And actually my grandfather passed away, but I heard his voice in the back of my head. You know, when we would fish, him and I would solve life problems and he would teach me a lot of things. Of and course. One of the, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the things that he taught me was if you want to be a part of change or you want to change something, he said, you can't do it from the outside. You have to get in there and get involved to mm. help create change. And so that's what really encouraged me to follow my path and be my authentic self. And that what we need is more good guys. We need yeah. more good men that are willing to speak up and do and treat people well and be kind, you know, and compassionate in the world. And, and that's so that I was like, that's my, okay. Yeah. You know, that, that set me in. And it also gave me clarity on my path as a man, yeah. as a, as a masculine person. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I see, and I look at your, your accolades and even who you are today, as far as like, uh, not who you are, but also in what you do and what you do is attacking things from the inside and helping to create that change from the inside. So, so, because that, what you do is not who you are, who you are is who you are. So I want to correct that. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But it, it's exemplified in, in what you do. So that's really cool to see that. And you took the, you definitely took those words into your life and, and really showed up that way. So <clears throat> with positive masculinity, this is something that I, I, I too, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I think that there's gotta be more influence in this. Like, and I, I don't like to, I don't like to go down a hole of toxic masculinity. Cause I think that, you know, to fem when you say toxic, you know, uh, you're saying something's unfit for consumption, right? And right. femininity, we don't say we don't say that about feminine, right? Even right. though women can portray very toxic behavior, right? right? You know, yes, so yes. so. Uh, but I love your book name, and I love your idea behind it, and where you're going with it, and I, and I would absolutely uh, love to open the door right now to talk about how what it is that you're presenting with this book, what you're trying to shift in the conversation today. Oh, so many things. One is that the way we were all socialized around gender. Well, well, I'll tell you what. How about if I read you a quote from the book? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. We have to re-examine our messaging from childhood and determine if it's healthy for us today. Does it move us toward being who we want to be or is it holding us back? Is it creating growth or is it stunting our growth? 
We need to become conscious of our messaging and understand that we ultimately have control over that messaging. So in other words, all of us were fed a bunch of conditioning when we were kids around gender, right? What it is to walk in the world as a man or a woman. And some of that messaging is just not healthy for us today. Like mm-hmm. one of the messages we as masculine people get is it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. Yep. That, that is hurting us and has hurt many men. You know, the highest suicide rate is among middle-aged men. Why is that? Because we're taught we shouldn't ask for help. We should be independent, be able to be self-sufficient, be able to handle it all ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so then, like you said before, like you and I talked before the show, then brothers don't share with each other what's really going on with them because they don't want to look weak or ask for help. And then they're alone. That's right. Then you think you're alone. (laughs) Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Great correction. You think you're alone. Absolutely. When there's a lot of other guys going through the same thing you are. But the fact is, is that we don't communicate about it. And that's a Mm-mm. big, the biggest thing I'm trying to change is, is one, that messaging. I'm trying to get people to understand that and we're empowered now as adults to go back. Yeah, the, our grandparents and our parents and our coaches and teachers fed us this messaging. But now we're adults and we can choose what serves us well and what doesn't, right? And mm-hmm. I'm just getting people to go back and look at that. And, and because w- those messages formed, helped us form our belief systems, mm-hmm. which those belief systems are how we judge ourselves and others, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that really affects our lives. And a lot of times, as you know, guys, we're hardest on ourselves. Like we beat ourselves up all the time if we don't measure up, right? especially mm-hmm. those of us that are like, I know as a, as a high level athlete and you, with what you, your background, we're hardest on ourselves for sure. Yeah. There's very, very small margin for error. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, that's one of the things I, I talk about. I've created a safe space with positive masculinity. We have a monthly group. Uh, mm. We've gone virtual since the pandemic and we're staying that way because now we have people joining us from all over the place. And we have a different discussion topic each month and we give a safe container for guys to share with one another what's really going on. And the main caveat that I say at the beginning of every meeting is we are here to be in support of one another's growth. And whatever we say to one another, let's make sure that we're thinking about that. Right. So it's not a place where we, no matter what a guy says he's going through, we're not there to tear him down. We're there to do things to help lift him up and support his growth. And that's, that's, you know, it's just, it's pretty amazing because when one guy opens up and really shares something real that's going on, you can see, especially if, if somebody's newer in the group, then, then it gives permission to others, right? They see that this guy was supported so now, oh, I can share. I can really share here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's beautiful too. I love seeing that. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, when when I think that's that's what's very important is you're shedding a light on allowing men to open up and say, hey, it's okay to do this. But that as much as we don't need permission, men fucking need permission. Yes. Like it's so it's so funny because we we really don't need permission, but like we need permission. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And why is that? Because as little I I can remember, you know, really young, 
watching kids police each other around this stuff. You know, the minute a boy would show emotion, his sister could be, I, I mean, I watched this as a martial arts teacher, right? Teaching little mm -hmm. kids. I could have both kids from the same family in the martial arts, one a little boy, one little girl. And the little girl get take a hit. She's allowed to cry. Little boy take a hit. Parents will jump right on him and tell him, toughen up. You're a boy. And, mm -hmm. and the little kid, you know, a five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid is looking at his sister able to show emotion. He's not, and he, the little kid doesn't understand this and why, you know, yeah, he has no. to shut all of his emotions down. But, but we're taught that from very young. And then mm -hmm. kids start mimicking that and picking on a kid if he shows any tenderness or emotion that's other than, you know, high-fiving his buddy or, you know, assertiveness or aggressiveness, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're permitted a few emotions and those are anger, uh, aggression, and uh, it's, it's definitely not sadness. It's definitely not. I mean, even I would even say to a level of excitement, because I think one of the hard things, and I'd love to get your, your input on this too, with your community is that guys just don't even appreciate the things they do well with themselves. We'll, we'll beat the shit out of ourselves for the bad things, but we don't really pat ourselves on the back. Right. You see that as well. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it, it is true. And we also don't pat each other on the back enough. Nope. You know, I had this, I wrote a blog about this on our website. We have blogs on the Positive Masculinity Now website. Uh, and anybody can write a blog for us. So if someone's listening, interested in that, you know, there's info on the website about how you can do that. But I had a weird experience like a couple of months ago. I was in downtown Seattle area and I was watching this, this garbage truck driver. And on, mm -hmm. in Seattle, people park all along the sides of all the neighborhood streets. So it can be really narrow and, and not easy to get through, right? And he's yeah. driving this big damn garbage truck. And I was watching this guy navigate around all that. And I, I was waiting to get in my car because he was coming down. I was just standing out because the door I needed to get in was on the street and letting him go by. And he went by really slow. And I called out and I said, hey, man. I was watching you. You're pretty amazing. You're probably the best driver in Seattle. And he was like, thank you, buddy, for like saying something. It's just that we aren't mm. used to complimenting each other. But he yeah. stopped. And we had this here I am with a stranger and we had this really cool little interaction and he felt good afterwards and I felt good. And, you know, why don't we do that more? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I I think there's a, I think there's a, um, it's almost like, I think there's a form of emasculation there where like, if I say, Hey, Mac, you did a great job at this. I'm admitting maybe that you're better than me at something. And so it comes back to that potentially, like, that's my opinion, some subconscious connection there. I, I think you're right on it because one of the other messages that I talk about in this book and I teach all the time is the, the traditional masculine messaging. Mm -hmm. tells us that we're always supposed to be competitive among one another. In other words, remember that game King of the Hill we played when we were kids? <laughs> yep. It's like we're doing it our whole fucking lives. <laughs> yeah. And what that does is it keeps guys from collaborating more. It mm -hmm. and, and boy, how much stronger are we and how much more can we accomplish if we collaborate more? Right? Oh, and my God. Yeah. And how much more so we be part of a brotherhood if we did that more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No, I think you're right. I think evolutionarily too, like, you know, there was competition everywhere because 
you know, you wanted to have the woman that had, that could birth you the most babies, or you wanted to, you know, you wanted the most from the tribe, whatever it was, but there's, you know, there's a level of competition through, I think evolutionarily. And I think subconsciously we still hold on to that, but you're right. Yeah. I think we just live with that King of the Hill mentality. Yeah. And I'm hoping what I'm trying to do is say, let's evolve. Let's let's come on. Let's work past that. We're not living where we have to go out with spears and, you know, the best, best hunter gets to eat that night. His family gets to eat as the only one, you know, no, (laughs) we we can support each other and and cheer each other on and, you know, work together on things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I love this aspect to it because the fact that like, it's fascinating to me that we are such evolved creatures that we can think and solve problems intellectually. And so, but it's like, we are so slow to evolve our own mindset of what we were predisposed to. That's not serving us anymore. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. Emotional intelligence isn't something that um, is evolved as quickly. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, another part of the messaging that I, that I, here's another quote from the book. This is another part of the messaging is rigidity and stoicism. Mm. You know, that the messaging that we're supposed to be, you know, stoic, you know, that, that whole thing, that's another part of holding in the emotions, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, it's, here's a quote. It's, it's important to examine all the areas of our lives to find rigidity and root it out. Physically, when we're rigid and in, and inflexible, we get injured easier. Mm-hmm. Now that's me talking as an athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, we know that in any kind of sports or athletic thing, you know, we get injured really easy when we're rigid and and inflexible. And the same thing happens emotionally with our egos. That's what we don't realize mm-hmm. is emotionally, rigidity is not healthy for us either. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. And think about this too, as a martial artist, how many matches would you have lost if you didn't change your approach during the match? Oh, God, so many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Your opponent is so different. You can't do the same thing every time. No, yeah. absolutely not. That that adaptability is what made you such a high-level athlete. And I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. The, the adaptability for us as men to find this emotional range and to find the flexibility in how we deliver ourselves to the community now and how we show up as men has the ability to be adaptable and it will serve us better. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. Have you heard of her? I've heard of the name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's like a New York Times bestseller. I think eight books on the bestselling list. She's pretty amazing. She's got one of the most watched TED Talks ever in the world. And Mm. she's considered the vulnerability guru. Like she's the expert on vulnerability. (laughs) That's a scary word. I know I said that and we're on a masculine podcast and vulnerability is a very word to the masculine. But what I want to talk about with that is reframing our Mm. thinking around vulnerability. Because, yeah, the masculine message has told us that we don't want to show vulnerability. We don't want to embrace it, right? Because it's a sign of weakness is is what we believe. But, you know, as I thought about this and listened to Brene Brown teach about it and read her books about it, which are amazing. I highly recommend her stuff. Um. I realized that in order to accomplish everything I have accomplished in my life, 
every championship, coaching other people, uh, writing a book, you know, starting businesses. I can just, I had to embrace vulnerability to put myself out there every time to do those things, falling in love, having close friendships, you have to embrace vulnerability because, you know, you're putting yourself out there. You're letting people see inside and see who you are. You could be rejected, right? Uh, you know, somebody could say you suck, you know, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know all yeah. that stuff, right? So everything worthwhile in life that I have and have accomplished, I've had to embrace vulnerability to, to have that. Mm. So it's actually a superpower. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I started thinking. Oh my God, this is actually a superpower. Yeah. I never had thought about that before. And, you know, anything that we want in life, I mean, you know, this, we have to put ourselves out there on the line to get it in, in one form or the other. Right? <laughs> and yeah. that, that is a risk. vulnerability. That's right. It's risking. Yes. Yeah. Which is being uh, embraced. Yeah. And embracing vulnerability. I think that's something obviously we as men just run from, but um, is that a big topic that you focus on in the book is getting, giving guys tools to, to expose that side of them? Oh, it certainly is. Yeah. I talk a lot in the book about vulnerability and about communication and about opening up and that, you know, one of the ways, you know, when I, I really think that one of the reasons the highest suicide rate is among middle-aged men is because men take that messaging and they wear these man masks that we've been told to wear, you know, being stoic, you know, uh, always being strong, always no pain, no gain, you know, all that, you know, yeah. self-sufficient. We can go on and on. Right. I, I talk about, I have a whole chapter about the man masks, the different masks that we wear. And uh, you know, I talk about the fact that wearing those is exhausting. And then we get to a certain point in life. I mean, if you always have to be the strong one, none of us can do that. First of all, it's impossible. We're setting ourselves up for failure. You know, it's just yeah. nobody can be strong 24-7 their whole life, right? Yeah, no. We're all going to need help at some point, right? It's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and so it's an unrealistic goal. And it doesn't serve us well in our relationships. And what happens then is I think when we get to middle age, we realize, God, I've been wearing these masks. I've been doing what they said to do to be the man my whole life. And I, it, I feel empty. You know, mm -hmm. I feel empty. I don't have any close friendships. I don't have my intimate relationships aren't, aren't you know, it's not, you know, where, where I want it. You know, I don't feel like I'm where I want to yeah. be. Even if you've won some awards and accomplished some things in your career, Nobody on their deathbed says, man, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody nope. does that, right? Nope. <laughs> yeah. It's about the relationships and the, and the experiences that you have in life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that is incredibly powerful in and of itself is to show that if, you know, that if we just live with those masks, that unfulfilled life is just going to drag along. And so what's, um, what I actually, I'm very fascinated by the mask. What's your, which, which one is the mask that you see worn the most in, in your experience right now? Um, I would probably say the self-sufficient mask. Yeah. I okay. think that is, that is the one that, and it's probably the one that hurts the masculine the most. 
you know, is that that feeling of I'm the lone wolf. I'm, I have to handle it all myself. I just keep carrying the weight, carrying the weight, you know, yeah. and, and it's my job to do it, you know, as the man. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and anybody will wear down on that. I mean, you know, you think about, I mean, you're, you know, when you work on teams, you think about what you've done in, in your career. And, you know, I'm a defensive tactics instructor for law enforcement as well. And, and, you know, I, I work a lot with teams on, on how to work together. You don't have anyone carry the heavy pack the whole way. You share the load, mm. right? If you're yeah. carrying a, a canoe or whatever you're carrying that yet your team needs, you share the load mm-hmm. or, it won't, or it won't work. <laughs> yeah. But we as men don't, don't see it that way. <laughs> well, we don't see it that way in our emotional lives. Right. right? Yeah. Physically, we understand if we're all going camping or hunting or whatever together, we're going to share the load. We get that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yep. But when it comes to our emotional lives, we don't see that. Why? I mean, we have those, you know, obviously those lessons from doing the outdoor stuff we've done. We should understand that those things translate to our inner life. That it's that is such a good point. Like we're such men are such physical creatures, yeah. and um, why do you think we don't translate? Like we know if we carried two hundred pounds on our shoulders for twenty miles, that that's gonna wear us down, and eventually we're not gonna make that right. Like we know that physically, but yeah. like why don't we? Tra- why do you think we don't translate this to our emotional side or the internal? Because the messaging we've had has told us to shut down our emotional selves since we were young. The minute mm. they told us you're not allowed to show emotion, right? Except two emotions, anger and high-fiving when your team wins the game, then we shut the rest of it down. And, and you know, we think we have to keep it all inside. So that's mm. why. Yeah, it's the messaging. And it's BS messaging that's hurting us. I mean, the oh, suicide yeah. depression rate tells us that it's what that messaging isn't working. No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's just crippling us. Um, I mean, it, it cripples us to also lack empathy with our partners and with our children too, I think too, yeah. because we're shutting down an emotional side, which then stops us from wanting to learn emotional intelligence to understand our own emotions better to then not put us in a position to have empathy. Right. Oh, that's so true. And then, you know, what happens is when, you know, when guys get to an age where they have an intimate relationship, you know, the the partner says so many times to the guy, you're not emotionally available to me. Well, no kidding. They've been telling me to shut my emotions down my whole life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you make a good point with children. You know, one of the interesting things that I found Seattle's a very different atmosphere from where I grew up in the South and I'm in Seattle now. And and one of the yeah. things that I saw not long after I moved here that just like, I just like had to sit down and take this in was, you know, I don't know what they call that wrap, but when mo- moms wrap the infant to their chest with the material, oh, yeah. they, there's a certain name for the wrap and I'm not, I don't know what it's called, but in Seattle, I've seen guys that look long bearded guys walking with their infants wrapped to their chest in that same way pushing the stroller but the baby wrapped to their chest i had to say i would have never seen that in the south and i just sat down and thought that is such a beautiful thing because they're not afraid to show their nurturing side 
That's another thing that we shut down because of that messaging a lot of times is our nurturing side. You know, dads mm-hmm. and grandpas and uncles and coaches, men that are coaches can be very nurturing. But we yeah. are kind of taught that that's the woman's job, right? That's the woman's role. Yeah. And, it, and it shuts us down. You know, I've got two granddaughters now. And I tell you what, you want to, mm-hmm. you know, that softens you. I don't know if you have kids or grand, but I have, you know. Not yet. I have a three and an eight year old granddaughters and they just melt you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have nieces and nephews and they do the same to me, but it, there is, there's that, that nurturing. I've seen, you know, plenty of my, my friends who are, you know, really awesome, strong, powerful dudes in their own right are like just beautiful, soft, nurturing fathers and husbands too. I've seen just that from men that, that treat their wives that way. Yes. And that is beautiful. Yeah. I've actually loved Have you seen the pictures of Dwayne, the rock Johnson, you know, doing a little tea party with his daughter? Like, yeah it's so cute <laughs> and so sweet yeah it's so good yeah, it yeah. Is. it's it's there there is that exposure but it's it's really getting i love that your book is getting that message out there to readers now to really show them that to have that conversation even more i think more people need to be pushing this conversation i love that you're actually getting that out there now and this is part of the the agenda that we have for this development of men this evolution of men yeah, you know they. I've been teaching gender for a long, a long time, uh, about twelve years now, and you know with my teaching experience. So here's the funny thing: I was teaching gender one hundred and one at a conference, and a buddy mm-hmm. of mine, a fellow teacher, um, was there, a friend of mine, and he's also a fellow martial artist. And he said to me, "Oh my God, you're the gender sensei now." So this is how I got the nickname, the gender sensei now because of my martial arts background and teaching about gender. And, you know, I just love it. And it's, it's fun. It's a fun name, right? It's catchy. Yeah. Remember it. Uh, and sensei means teacher in Japanese. So they call, you know, they call their piano teacher sensei too. It's not just sensei, a martial yeah. arts thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but I love trying to just get people to look at what fits for them, what serves them well. Also, the, another part of the message is a more inclusive masculinity. So traditional masculine messaging was basically only the tough guy survives, right? So the guys mm-hmm. like Fred Rogers or David Bowie or Prince, so let's take any guy that's more artsy, more intellectual, you know, Bill Gates. <laughs> I mean, we can go yeah. on and on, guys like that. Jerry Lewis. Yeah, exactly. They didn't fit that model. Right. And so so I'm also talking about a more inclusive masculinity that opens up and realizes that guys that are that are not that tough guy model fit into this as well. You know, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't it's okay. Everybody should be able to be who they are. Right. And express their masculinity. We need the artist in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we need that art is an amazing uh, storytelling, uh, you know, gift to us. Yeah. Right. And so we should celebrate those guys too, not just the tough guys. Oh, no, that's absolutely. And there's a, you know, my philosophy after reading a lot of Raywin Connell's stuff, my philosophy on this is, is really been the fact that, you know, when we get this prescription and she talks about how there's these prescriptions that have been written for us, we get these prescriptions of masculinity and then we grow up and we're like, man, I'm miserable. I hate myself. I don't like life. And then you just take a step back and you're objective and you're like, wow, 
well, I probably am miserable because I've had this standard of masculinity that I was told was men. I've never really fit that version of masculinity. And I've been trying to a square peg into a round hole for like my whole life. And I I think you're absolutely right. That inclusivity of having the conversation that masculinity is more of a robust, it's a more robust dynamic than just one fixed way. And you're right. We've we've really not done ourselves a good service by saying this is the only way to do it. That's right. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is if we're secure in who we are, it doesn't take anything from us to lift women up right? It doesn't take anything away from us. You know, success and happiness is not pie. I tell people this all the time. A lot of people act like if I cheer you on and your success, it's going to take something away from me. No, it's not. It's not pie. There's enough happiness and success for all of us. Yeah. hundred percent. There's 8 billion people on this planet, right? Like, so my pod, my podcast is, is focused mainly towards men. I have had so many men's coaches on here. I'm also a men's coach. If I've ran that philosophy, I would have never had any of them on here. But to me, I'm like, men, there's 8 billion people on this planet. And if we assume 50% are men, that's 4 billion people that need some help. I can't manage 4 billion people. I'm okay with this. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We can cheer each other on and support one another's success and celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. This is, this has been such a beautiful conversation. My, my other question for you uh, as we're kind of winding down here is um, what was maybe your favorite chapter that you wrote in the book? If you, if you could, if you had to pick one. Mm. Um, yeah, I would, I, I would, I think it's going to be the last chapter. Yeah. I think it's going to be the last chapter 13, chapter 13. Yeah. No chapter. What's the name of that one? Creating a healthier way. So basically I go beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I go through, you know, masculinity in your career masculinity and relationships and communication, the man masks, you know, I explained the difference, I think, between toxic and traditional masculinity um, or messaging, you know, but then at the, I'm pulling it all together at the end and talking about how we can, you know, because my whole goal with this is for masculine people to come together. So when I started this, I'll back up a second. I saw the Me Too, it was at the height of the Me Too movement. Okay. And I was watching the Me Too movement and I was hearing all these women, you know, start to express what the patriarchy had done to them, you know, how it had affected them in their lives. And, and I had experienced some of that. So I understood. And there weren't yeah. many men involved in this conversation. In fact, the only men I saw speaking in this conversation were men that were, they weren't listening at all to what the women were saying. They were yelling, you're trying to take our manhood away, you know. <laughs> They were threatening, right? And what I thought was, what what we need to understand is that this patriarchal message and and control has also hurt us. As men and masculine people, this has hurt us as well because it's limited us. It's put this, like you said, we all had to fit into this little tight, you know, box. And if we didn't fit into it perfectly, we weren't okay. And... And so we need to realize that, number one, 
and then look toward how we can collectively work on something healthier for all of us going forward. For mm. us and for women, you know, uh, you mm. know, we have to work together, right? First of all, we're all living on this planet together and that's, ne- that's not gonna change. <laughs> no, not anytime soon anyways. <laughs> so we've got to figure this out. So instead of yeah. standing in our corners, pointing at each other going, you know, you, you know, that's not helping anything. How do we walk toward each other and work together? You know, mm-hmm. and that's what that, that's what that's about. That's what that last chapter is about. Yeah. Oh, I can see why that's your favorite. I love that. And that's exactly, that is where we need to be. We collectively, we are destined to evolve. And this is, we're at this really beautiful time where we have this ability to do that. And we need to, we need to stop running from it as men and we need to take it up and say, yeah, it's our turn to, to change what this looks like now. Yeah, yeah, we certainly do. And I think, you know, for the first time, we're starting to have these conversations more. And I just, it's so exciting to me. And one of the most exciting things about putting this book out is, you know, I've been, I had the men's group going for about four years when the book came out. And so Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from that. And basically I used lesson plans I had for our meetings for the group to, you know, to outline the book, you know, as things we had talked about worked through. And, uh, but wow, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to put the book out is to get this message to more people, right? Yeah. And I've had guys even contact me from Yugoslavia that have read the book now going, Mac, how, how can I start a positive masculinity group here? We really need this. You know, it's just so encouraging. Wow. Yeah, to, to see, you know, this thing take wings and go out, right? <laughs> just, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Of course, you know, there are always going to be a few naysayers, but I've had a lot of people write to me and say, you know, that they are just like they they're embracing this and loving it and want to know how to how to help be a part of this movement. So it's it is encouraging. Oh, that yeah, that is encouraging. And I love to hear that. And also, I love to hear your success with it. That's absolutely amazing. Because like I said, I support the message. I think you, you hit the nail on the head here. And I think this is uh, part of the conversation we need to be having to continue to move forward as a collective, right? Like as society, but also as as men. So really amazing, really amazing job. Um, Mac, this has been such a beautiful conversation. You're obviously well-versed in this. You have a fun time talking about it. So I have loved this 100%. Great. Let's tell let's tell everybody, um, and all this will be linked in the show notes for everybody listening, but let's tell everybody how to get a hold of you, how to get part of your ecosystem, how to find you and, and get involved. Yeah, positivemasculinitynow.org is our website. Everything's on there. Um, you can find out how to join our monthly uh, free meeting, virtual meeting on there. I also teach a virtual virtual workshop each month. And I go speak in, in different places. And the book's available on Amazon and Kindle and in print right now. And the audio book will be out early next year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, please, everybody go check out Mac. Obviously, he's got a lot going on that is really trying to help men everywhere influence the world differently and in a more positive way. So truly appreciate that. And my last question for you, Mac, before I let you go, I'm very excited to hear your answer on it is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Oh, (laughs) I think walking in strength and power and learning to use how we can use our strength and power to empower others. 
I love that. Very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate you so much, Mac. This is again, just an amazing conversation. Thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom and everything else with us. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble until next time.